Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Whew, that was awesome. Praise God, I feel like we're having church. <laughs> to those four who raised their hands for salvation rededication, this is a great day. Uh, write that down, and uh, you're welcome to the family. A um, couple of quick things. Do you know who the fastest land mammal is? It's a toddler with something in his mouth that you're trying to get from him. <laughs> you ever tried that? What do you got in your mouth? Give me that, right? <laughs> the fastest land mammal is a toddler with something in their mouth you're trying to get from him. I'll explain it later. Anyway. <sighs> All right. It's... <laughs> We have this thing, that's not funny, Tom. I think it's hysterical, but anyway. What, I, you know, I want to ask God, do you ever wonder about this? Those who, you know, are working on stuff, right? Why didn't God make mosquitoes suck fat instead of blood? You know, I wish, he, I wish he'd do that, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I thought about this. I was having a, one of these rough days, and I, thought, I said, you know, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a sign on the back of my truck that says, honk if you think I'm buff and handsome. And then I was going to pull down to the intersection here at the light and just stop until I felt better about myself. <laughs> I stopped. I'd probably get, you know, a ticket or something, and then I'd have that's that pastor. Doesn't he understand the driving along? All right. Okay. Hey, let me, on a serious note, let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you love us. And God, we're on this journey of love to, to learn how to love you to love you with all that we are. And God, I thank you that you're so patient with us that in Philippians 1.6, you said, you began the work. You know, we surrendered, but you began the work and you perform it until the day you come, whether you come back or we go to you. And so, Lord, thank you that you're working with us, Lord. I love that song. He's working even when I don't think he's working. He's working. Even when I was lost, he was working, right? All right. Hang on to me this moment. I'm, gonna, I'm going somewhere with this, but let me start with, how many of you know the person, John Canley? Never heard of John Canley? Not surprising. Just recently, President Donald J. Trump awarded the Medal of Honor to Sergeant Major John L. Canley, United States Marine Corps, retired for conspicuous gallantry. Sergeant Major John L. Canley received the Medal of Honor for his actions from January 31st to February 6th, 1968, while assigned to Company A, 1st Battalion, 1st Marines, Republic of Vietnam. While serving as Company Gunnery Sergeant, he fought off multiple enemy attacks as the company moved along the highway towards Hue City to relieve the friendly forces that were surrounded. On several occasions, despite his own wounds, he rushed across fire-swept terrain to carry wounded Marines to safety. When his commanding officer was severely wounded, he took command and led his company into Way City. While in command of the company for three days, he led attacks against multiple enemy fortified positions while exposing himself to enemy fire to carry wounded Marines to safety. On February 6th, while in a hospital compound, he twice scaled a wall full of the enemy view to recover wounded Marines and carry them to safety. 
Then Gunnery Sergeant Kenley's heroic actions saved the lives of many of his teammates. The Medal of Honor, you probably know this, is awarded by the President in the name of Congress to members of the armed forces who distinguish themselves conspicuously by gallantry, intrepidity, at the risk of their own lives above and beyond the call of duty, while engaged in action against the enemies of the United States and engaged in military operations involving conflict with opposing force. There must be no margin of doubt or possibility of error in awarding this honor. To justify this decoration, the deed performed must be one of personal bravery, self-sacrifice that is so conspicuous as to clearly distinguish the individual above his or her comrades and must have involved the risk of life. Now, it's not surprising that we wouldn't know that name because unless you were there or unless you were a family member or more importantly, maybe one of the Marines that was carried out that is alive because of that act, you probably wouldn't know that name. Now, here's where I'm going with this. If you think about what raises the level of impact or appreciation or the honor of respect for another, what, what raises your own impression of a particular person? I've thought about this several times this week. One, I think it's the magnitude of the sacrifice. It's the cost that that person paid. Or it's the closeness of that personal impact. The helicopter pilot who medevaced my brother-in-law, Ginny's brother who was wounded, his entire platoon was nearly wiped out with an attack in Vietnam, and he was wounded pretty gravely. And the helicopter pilots who came in and medevaced out got him out. He'll never forget those guys, ever. And so the personal impact of those who risk themselves, or how about a mother whose child is rescued by a first responder or police officer where they place themselves in that place of danger, the fireman who goes in and receives, takes the children out. What's the gratitude of that mother or father for that? So there's the, the level of impact, but it's also the personal level of that impact. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read about Abraham Lincoln, I read about, uh, you know, um, George Washington, I'm moved by them. But I have a feeling that those who were in the slave quarters when the went down and the Civil War ended, even though over 600,000 Americans died in that conflict, those who were in the slave quarters who were now set free, I bet you that impact had a whole lot more personal impact on them. So I believe it has something to do with the level, but also the closeness of it, and then the potential or the actual personal cost of that. When we look at this, this is Veterans Day, and I'm going to honor our veterans in a moment, but we were coming back about three weeks ago and uh, from Virginia. We had done the Crisis Response International Base. We were there dealing with uh, ministering inner healing to about 25 first responders. And as we were driving back through the Virginia countryside, we came across a town in, called Bedford, Virginia, beautiful little town. And in the marking of that, Sarah was in the car with me, and I said, it was, it was a sign. Do you remember exactly what it said? It's some Bedford Remembers? Yeah. It, anyway, I said, I wonder what they're remembering. And so here's what happened. 
Now, if I were to ask some of our youth right now, tell me, what's the significance of Normandy? Or maybe you ever do, you know, Waters World, you ever, they go out and interview on the street. It's amazing what, if you're not there and it's not relevant or you, it doesn't, but Normandy, France, the liberation of Europe, D-Day, right? Omaha Beach. Well, to those who paid the ultimate price, the Bedford boys on D-Day, that cast of that shadow is still on that town. And this is why that little town of Bedford remembers. You see, 35 men from the small southern town of Bedford, Virginia, were in the same company, including two brothers, and their both brothers were killed on the landing in D-Day, along with 4,500 other Americans, young boys. The sister who was 14 at the time that her two brothers were killed in D-Day, my parents, most of all, we went to see them off, and yet on June 6, 1944, 150,000 other young men boarded landing craft for the beaches in France for the D-Day invasion, for the liberation of Europe. By the end of that day, nearly 4,500 Allied soldiers had lost their lives. 19 of the 35 from Bedford, Virginia, died that day. That longest day. So when you drive through that town, it's a small town. Think of the population, like 3,500. The largest loss per capita of any city in the United States on that day. So... That particular day has a significant event, and so I want to ask if our veterans would all stand, the families of those who have had veterans in them that have paid a price as well. We so honor the the Gold Star families and those who have lost. And those that may be following us by live stream, we honor you and we thank you for your service. We thank you that we want to remember It's not just a bank holiday. It's not just a bank holiday. This is a day where we honor those who have served. And we say thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm named after Lieutenant uh, Thomas McVeigh, who paid the ultimate price. He was my dad's friend. He was killed in Korea during the conflict there. And mom and dad decided to name me after this warrior. He was wounded three times. They patched him back up during the the offensive in 1951, and I was born shortly thereafter, and they named me after Thomas McVeigh. This also happens to be the 244th anniversary year of the Marine Corps. So, hurrah, you guys. (laughs) All right. Semper Fidelius. All right. My dad was a lieutenant colonel in the Marines, and I know we, I think it's George had a bumper sticker. I don't know if you still do, right? Not as mean, not as lean, but still a Marine. (laughs) Amen? So we we honor our veterans. Now, I want to tie this together because I believe this is the significance. If you'll pull out your handout, I've titled the message, To Know the Love of God That Surpasses Knowledge. I was meditating on this. In fact, there's a typo there. That shouldn't be 314. That should be 319, so correct that. Ephesians 319. We're going to actually start in 314, but I was uh, bear hunting yesterday with, man, that's a whole mission field there. <laughs> there's a small army out there in Jones County. We got 8,000 acres, and, and um, 
I was driving in the truck with one of the guys I've been witnessing to for the last few years, and I had another person. I said, I'm preaching tomorrow on this verse. Now, this particular person is, um, I gave him a Bible last year, and I've been witnessing to him, and he's asking a lot of questions, but he hasn't, I don't believe, crossed over the line yet. So I thought this would be a good time. I said, let me ask this question. We're kind of waiting here. It's been a quiet morning, and what does this word mean to you? To know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. And he thought about it, he thought about it. He says, man, it's beyond your brain. It's like an experience. He said, man, you got it. And so, let's turn first. I want to have us turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter 2, where I'm going with this is I, just like the experience of the event, how close was that event, how big was the, the magnitude of the risk or the sacrifice that was made, and to make that so personal that you will remember. And so, Peter writes this. This is Peter's epitaph. It is just... It's actually his last will and testament shortly after he writes this and he even indicates it in the scriptures we're going to read here. He is crucified upside down. On the same day, history tells us that Paul, the apostle, was beheaded by Nero. But Peter knew it. He had the revelation. Let's read in verse 12. 2 Peter 2.12. Therefore... I always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For the Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I'll work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. We're not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when, we, when he received the honor and the glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that the voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we even have greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for these words were like lamp shining in the dark place. Until the day dawns and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or human initiative. No. Those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. 2 Peter 1, beginning in... I'm sorry, you're right. Thank you for correcting me. 2 Peter 1.12, not 2.12. I confused you. All right, we're speaking in tongues, sorry. It was really good when I read it. <laughs> All right, 
let's, what he's referring to, what Peter is referring to is in Matthew chapter 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. We won't turn there right now, but here's, <coughs> here's what the eyewitness account that Peter was referring to. Peter's about to be crucified. He knows it. He's been told that his journey, his race is about over. But he's now reflecting. He's writing to his church there, reminding everyone, I want to tell you about the eyewitness account of this experience that absolutely changed my life. And I have greater confidence now on what I've told you. And I'm going to keep reminding you, I'm going to keep telling you this because it's important that you have this revelation of what I experienced. But he was there. That's why when we think about the experience of what happened even to the Bedford boys or to the experience of that Sergeant Major who rescued those Marines, you weren't there. But we can hear the story. But we're going to bring this in revelation by the Holy Spirit to this place. And so here's what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John are invited to come with Jesus. Come with me. We're going to pull away to go pray. And they get up on the mountain and here's what it says in Matthew 17. It's in several of the scriptures, gospels. It says, Jesus' countenance started to change. First, his face shone like the sun. And his clothes were brighter than the brightest. The power from within, whiter than Bill's shirt. And so, he says, all of a sudden, he starts to be transformed. And there, the apostles are there, and James and Peter and John's like. And then suddenly, a cloud comes over. And they are completely in the kabod presence of God. And God the Father himself says this, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, who was that audience for? It wasn't for Moses and Elijah who were also there. Hello? Right? Now, how did they know Moses and Elijah were there? They hadn't seen it. They'd been dead for centuries. They'd read about it. But they knew or they knew or they might have maybe said, I'm Moses and I'm Elijah. All we know is you've got the lawgiver and you got the prophet. The law and the prophets are the foundation of where Christ sits, right? And they show up in the midst of it. Those who were dead are now alive and they show up in the midst of the cloud and there they are. And Peter and James and John, Peter wants to build an altar. He's like, oh my, let's do something, right? He's like, the presence of God is on me, we're going to do something. He says, that experience, my eyewitness account of the Father speaking and the presence of the prophet and the Moses, the one we've studied, is now real to me. And that's what he wants us to experience is the reality of the fact that Christ died for you. He is the one who gave his life. He paid the sacrifice. It's not some sweet story or some clever you know, parables of things we read. No, he goes on. He says this in King James. I like it even better. In King James, 1 Peter, he says this, verse 16, 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 16, for we have not followed cunning devised fables that we made up unto you about the power of the coming of Lord Jesus Christ. We don't make these things up. These stories, I was there. If you've ever witnessed the presence of God in a powerful, you cannot unsee it. 
You cannot unsee it. You can give me any argument you want that God doesn't heal. I've God doesn't heal for today. He doesn't deliver. Well, then you tell me the woman that we prayed against witchcraft who stood up and her back went straight and her leg went straight in front of me. You can't tell me God didn't heal her. I don't care what argument you give me. Right? You cannot by experience not know. And what he's saying here in that Ephesians 3 is to know the love of God that is beyond and surpasses knowledge. It's beyond your intellect. It is way beyond your intellect. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians 1, we see an account here given by Paul to the church at Ephesus. What language, what an experience of what he's trying to capture about his visitation. I'm quite sure when Paul's visitation on the road to Damascus, thinking he's doing all the right religious things, he's just killed Stephen. He goes to Damascus to arrest the rest of the Christians of the way, and he's encountered by Christ. He's blasted to the ground. He's blinded for three days, and he says, why have you, Jesus says to him, why have you come to persecute me? Now, he thinks he's doing all the religious things. Persecute me. No, you're, you're arresting Christians of the way, and you stoned and killed Stephen. So no, you're persecuting me. It would be good for you not to kick against the goads. You better stop trying to force what you're doing and stop. And he blinds him to get his attention for three days. And then he sends a reluctant believer by prophecy, and Nice is sent to him, go lay hands on Paul. I don't do that. That guy's a killer. He keeps hanging up there. You go, and he does. And that miraculous moment, the scales fall off his eyes, and he's baptized, and he's never the same. Then he gets a new name. I love that, because you and I are going to get new names as well. All right, so we look at this scripture in Ephesians 1. Now, listen to the language of this. It's very poetic, but it's whether you read King James, this is in Ephesians 1. Let's begin in verse 3. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. I can't even get past that. How many spiritual blessings are there? I don't know, but they're all. And he's blessed you. Which heavenly realms? I mean, I'm trying to grab a hold of this. Okay, every spiritual blessing that's in the heavenly realms, how big is that? How do you capture that language, right? What does that mean? Because, why? Because you're united, you're joined, you're one with Christ. Even, verse 4, even before the, he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Okay, what? I've had people, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. He can't forgive me. He will. You're not bad enough that the blood of Jesus can't forgive you, right? The, the royal blood is more than enough, and it's illegal for you to even think that way. <laughs> even before he made the world, he loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and he gave it great pleasure. So, we praise God from the glorious grace he poured out on us 
who belong to his dear son. You belong to his dear son. You belong to his dear son. Hello? That ought to do something on the inside of you. You belong to him. I'll tell you what. I had a, one of the dads yesterday at the hunting club. He's, man, he, if there's a definition of redneck, he's it, okay? And there were two Marines that wanted to take his 18 to 19-year-old daughters out. And he's sitting there with a you know, loaded shotgun and a 4570, and he says, yeah, I took those Marines aside, and I told them this. You may be tough and powerful, and you're qualified on pistols and guns, but I'll tell you what. These two girls, they're my world. And let me tell you right now. I don't even do justice his slang. <laughs> Sometimes I have, can you translate that for me? He goes, you mess with my girls, I'm coming for you. Why? Because they belong to him. Those are his. So here, the son, the father says, you belong to my son. God now revealed this mysterious plan. It says in verse 6, he says, so we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on those who belong to his son. He's so rich in his kindness and his grace that he purchased our freedom with his blood. There ought to be a medal of honor. It's right there. He showered us with his kindness on us, along with wisdom and understanding. God now revealed to us his mysterious, mysterious, others translate secret, plan. It was to be revealed regarding Christ and the plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we're united, one, with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. He chose you in advance. He chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was the Jews first to trust in Christ, to praise and to glorify God, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, and the good news from God saves you, and when you believe Christ he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give you the inheritance he promised and he has had purchased with his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. So this promise, when you start, take the list and just go down, what are these wonderful blessings in the heavenly realms? Spiritual blessings. One, we're united with Christ. We're holy and without fault. We've been adopted into the family. It's his great pleasure. We belong to God's son. He purchased us with his freedom. He's given you an ID. He's, he's given you this, showered you with all this wisdom and knowledge, this mysterious plan. You know, I don't know about you, but it's in the book of Revelation. Mom often talks about her new name, right? I think it's in Revelation 2.17. He's going to give you a white stone with a new name on it. I don't know about you. Have you gone to get your real ID yet? That you got to, by next October, you got to go get, you got to go to the DMV and have your license changed. You got to bring a certain amount of ID. They're, they're going to make sure you're saying who you say you are, right? 
It's a real ID. I got news for you. This scripture says there's a heavenly real ID, right? That has got your name on it. In fact, he has so marked you that he knows who you are. And the devil knows who you are. Man, I've had to, I love it when the devil comes and says, you're one of them. I sure am. Hallelujah. <laughs> and then they go, yeah, you growl. What do you want? Right? In the name of Jesus. You have a real ID in Christ that says, don't celebrate as you got you know, power over the demons, he said in Luke chapter 10, right? He says, because your name is written as citizens in heaven, that ought to make you really happy, right? And so that'll cause you to want to do some things. It'll cause you to fall in love more. This is all part of this, how do you know God that surpasses knowledge? How do you love him? How do you know the love of God that passes knowledge? When this word gets down, it starts working on the inside. I know that he's working. He's working, right? When that starts working on the inside, your knower, who is the one who teaches, he says, I love you. I know you. I know you. You're known by, he says, I know that I know that I know. You can't unknow that thing. Once that knower's in, it's like, man, I was in prayer on Wednesday, and I just, man, it was one of those top 10 events. It was just like, for me personally, it was like, Playing the guitar, and it says, Daniel Fisher was playing the guitar, and it was going, just give me Jesus. You can have all this world. They can have, but when I come to die, just give me Jesus. That song, and just, and all of a sudden, and I was electrocuted from my toes to my nose, and I was like, there was a revelation of what was, oh, I don't know what was going on in here, but it was, it was shortened. My heart was like, oh, God, this revelation of how much I love you, God. And so when, that, when we have those moments, you got to pursue God on this thing. You got you to turn off all the noise. You got to turn it off. You got you to get in that place. Just if we could just turn off the noise, find your quiet place. Even Jesus pulled away, right? He got in that place. He would go up on the mountains to pray. He'd pray all night. There's, a, there's something about just loving on him. He just, whew. That will allow for. You will position yourself to be able to know the love that surpasses knowledge. Now, this is a journey. Paul goes on and says, you could try all you want. It's so deep, and it's so wide, and it's so high. You'll, it, it, you try to get your roots down in that marvel. It's, it's going to take all eternity. How deep is his love? Whew. Come on. All right. Turn with me a couple pages to the right. Ephesians chapter 3. Let me read the first paragraph of the handout. To know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he was given the privilege to explain the mysterious plan of God. The unsearchable, listen to the language, the unsearchable, the endless riches that are in Christ. That God was going to use his church to display his wisdom to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Paul says he falls to his knees before God in the revelation of his plan, that the whole family of God is being named, is being named in heaven and on earth. The love of God is so great, it is not measurable, and that the love of Christ surpasses human knowledge. Christ dwelling in the heart of the believer can be accessed 
by the Holy Spirit in Revelation. That's a summary of what we're about to read. Let's pick up and let's read Ephesians 3, 8. Unto me, Paul writes, let me read New Living. It says, though I am the least deserving of all the people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures that are available to them in Christ. They're available. Not everybody accesses them, but they're available. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, he kept it secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in all rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now boldly and confidently in God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you. You should be honored, feel honored. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray from his glorious unlimited resources. He will empower you with the inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots, they're going to go down into God's love and keep strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's so great to understand this love fully, that you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who's able through his mighty power to work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we'd ever ask or think. A glory to him in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Whew. Do you get the language on this? I mean, the adjectives, the depth. Uh, it's like Paul's trying to find the words of what he re- had revealed to him mysteriously. And so there's this revelation of how deep God's love is for us. Now look at your handout. The title there, the second part down from the paragraph, you cannot follow Christ at a principle. You can't. You, you, there are people, and the Pharisees tried, right? They knew this word. They had memorized. So you, you can try to know the jot and the tittle, and it'll just make you more religious. It says, be careful. You think you got knowledge of all the Bible stories? If you don't walk in a relationship with Christ that is personal, he is the one who carried you out of the war-torn place where the bullets were flying. He's the one who hung on a cross naked so that you and I could access this. And until we get a revelation of that experience, all it is is a bunch of Bible stories. And it will not work. You will end up bankrupt or you'll, get tra- you'll be taken away by the things and the cares of this world and you'll end up in a place. And I, I, it's a sad, sad story, but I know people that I've walked with years ago, 25 years ago, they were so on fire with God. They were serving God. They were in the ministry. And now they are atheists who have walked away from what it... How does that happen? That's a scary place. If it's not built on relationship and perseverance, 
If you're not in the pursuit of knowing this love that is beyond my head, you can lose it. Number one, to know the love of God, that, that word literally is yada, and it means an experience that cannot be known by the intellect. The love of God. He tells us in number two there, love God with all that you are, body, soul, spirit, strength, mind. Love God. And I think a few months ago, I preached something around this one, and I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> God, I got to love you more. Well, there was a singer, right? <laughs> What's love got to do with it? Tina tried to tell us, Tina Turner, nothing. Yeah, baloney. It's got everything to do with it, right? But then he warned us. He said, also that second scripture of loving God, he says, but love your neighbor as yourself. Some of us have struggled with loving ourself, but you got to love yourself. But don't be lovers of yourself, what does that mean, Pastor? Remember, he warned, I read it last week, I believe, and Timothy says, in the last days, they'll, they'll be proudful, arrogant, rebellious, not giving to marriage. They'll be given to demons and doctrines of demons and false teachings, and they'll be lovers of themselves and lovers of their money, right? So there's this lover of self, but he's saying, no, no, love yourself, but recognize he created you for who you are. And what he made was good, right? The potter and the clay. That was last week's sermon. You can't tell the potter, you did this wrong. <laughs> I wish you made me taller, sweeter, bigger. Hey, he liked it. He said, you're a masterpiece. So get comfortable in your own skin. He likes you, right? Once you get that place, you can, you'll be more relaxed to be able to give away the love of God. Well, I'll be jealous of this one. This one's pretty taller than, oh, please, get over that. Get past it, Right? My grandma, my great grandma used to say, my grandma used to say, oh, don't worry about it, Tom. You got all these, it only gets worse. I said, my mom, that's grandma, that's not good, right? I'll just leave it there. All right. Number four, not all truth is created equal. Not all truth is created equal. I put two down here. It says, number A, right? Honor your father and mother. And then in scripture, Luke 14 says, if you love your mother and your father more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. In fact, you better hate your mother and father in comparison to loving me. I'm like, whoo. Honor your mother and father. Love them. Love your neighbor as yourself. But in comparison, that love has got to go to a different level, and that is not human love. That's an agape love that only he can put in there through the surpassing knowledge of that love that is created by him. He is love. And so, God, i got to have this love because you got to show me how to love you, God. And when that happens, I can love me, and then I can love others. Right? That is beyond your intellect. You can try to figure this out. You can't. It is only by the Spirit. It's only by his presence and it's in finding those places, setting aside all the noise, all the seduction, all the things the world tries to put glitz and glamour on that are just false gold, and we got to get to that place. And we're in pursuit of him. I'm so excited. There, something's changing. Something's happening. We sang that song. Something's got to change, right? Something is changing. I, I feel it. I, I know it. I just like, right? When you gather enough people that are after him, in pursuit of him, in a way, and they said, look, these things, these things, yeah, they, the world's great. We honor all that stuff. We enjoy the, the things that he gives us, but it's going to end, <laughs> right? And that one day when I stand before him, it's going to be the love of God. When, uh, 
who was the prophet that went to be Bob Jones? When Bob Jones went to heaven, died and went to heaven, he was there, and, and the Lord said, "No, you got to go back, and I'm gonna. You, you got to learn to love. I'm sending you back to learn to love." <laughs> so, the question on that day is, did we learn to love? Right? The world's love, number five. If I don't feel it, it's not love. Falling in and out of love. What is it, a hole? (laughs) I fell in love. I fell out of love. Man. You lost that love and feeling. Come on. Whoa, that love and feeling. Come on, you know, Top Gun, come on. All right, anyway, this, the world is just like, it's Looney Tunes over this stuff, right? Covenant love, covenant love has a real deep place where it is not about your feelings. It is a covenant love. When you get married and you stand before God and say, this is the one, come on. Now, I'm not trying to be critical of those who've had love falling apart. I'm not certainly justifying abuse, none of that stuff. But there's something about covenant love that is different. I've had people, you know, they come and say, well, she did this and he did that. And I heard this one. For 15 years, he leaves his underwear on the floor. But I love you. I took you to Europe twice. It's like, if you think an event can cover up disrespect and dishonor, you're wrong. Now, in the biblical sense, remember he said, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? But on that day that you stand before me, I will say I did not know you because what you did was unlawful. I love you. I love you, God. And I live like hell during the week, and my, my life does not demonstrate that. That is not a covenant relational love that surpasses knowledge. Our lives have got to demonstrate, have got to be an example for him. And so if you think that you can dishonor and disrespect, marriage is the best example of this, right? You know, you've heard me say that it's, it's designed to kill both of you, right? It will, it'll boil your flesh. It will, right? Chris Volatin recently said, yeah, marriage is like a death march to the life camp. <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing. He who finds a wife finds a good thing, right? And so it, it's a beautiful thing. But I'll tell you what, as soon as you put two in one space, you got two spirits in one body, right? Two souls in one body. You're ready for having some fun, right? That's going to be, right? This is the example. God, that's why he said in Ephesians 5 that marriage was designed. It was the example that we see when Christ died for his church and he hung on a cross and he bled for her. That you are to bleed and die for the one that you're now in covenant love. And you are to bleed and die for the one you're in covenant love with vertically. That's why I said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. But if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. That's why when I see these, I just recently saw a tape of the persecution that's going on over in Asia, of the beheadings, of these Christians who are standing there in that place honoring God as their heads are cut off. That's a sobering love of covenant. 
Covenant love is not based on feelings, 5A, B. Identity is not based on how I feel. I don't care how you feel. If you're marked in the blood and you belong to him, I don't care how you feel. It's true. You belong to him. I know and I choose him by sacrifice. In 6C, we're all on this place where we need to learn to die. You need to learn to die. Now, what does that mean? He says, in Romans 12, 1, he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Letting God change the way you sin. Presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice. So, what does that look like? It's when a friend or a family, a coworker, they're just, they're not nice. And you, cho- you chose and you choose not to take the bait. Now, you, don't, you can put up boundary markers. You're not jumping that boundary. You don't get to abuse me. And that stuff's got to stop. But I keep my love on. We just went through this undercover and then the bait of Satan. Pastor Terry took us through that. What a great teaching. Many said they were transformed by it. John Bevere's books, if you haven't read them or heard from them, you can get them online. But I want to encourage us that we have got to walk this out. Covenant love is revealed And once it is, the last part, seven there, once that happens, when it changes on here, we will mirror that and become a light to the world. It'll be so attractive that the world, they're just going to want to know what you, what do you got? You're different. What is it about that? You know, I've been driving around this truck for a few years with these guys, and it's really wild. You know, they're kind of, their language and all that stuff, and they're talking about certain things that you... You shouldn't do with others, and and, uh, and then they found out I'm a pastor. I don't, you know, we pull out my pastor's card, right? I'm just there to to hunt to get real. That's just me, right? I was like, and so I, one guy come and goes, you know, I, I didn't always talk like this. I said, oh, okay, you know, my grandma used to take me to church. I said, oh, okay, yeah. It's like just just live out. One of the the really the frostiest guys yesterday. I, I don't know, this is one of the young guys last year, he just got married, I said, I went over and congratulated, I said, man, congratulations on your marriage, he goes, yeah, thank you, I really appreciate it, and the guy goes, how long have you been married, I've been 46 years, and one of the guys says, whoa, if you add up all my marriages, I got 46 years, <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said the, the point of this is, we don't have to live religiously, just live real with the love of God in your heart. And if you lift him up, he will draw all men to you, right? And so let's stand and we'll be dismissed. And Jim, would you put on uh, some music in the background? If you need prayer, I want to invite our ministry team to come up. And if you need any additional prayer, we're celebrating today those who gave their lives to Christ. We're celebrating the veterans who have served and, and honored us. But we're also celebrating this love that cannot be denied. This love that surpasses knowledge, to know it. God, this is my request. If, if you're willing, just kind of put, a, put your hand on your heart. Just put your hand on your heart. And, and Lord, I just pray that, Lord, you're working. You're continually working in us. And through dreams or vision, revelation, through the things we see, it says all creation. Romans 1 says all creation testifies. When I look at my little granddaughter just born a few weeks ago, 
I just like, wow, what a miracle. What a miracle. How do you do that, God? God, I just thank you that that revelation of the knowledge of God. Lord, help us to move past the natural and into the realm of the supernatural. That we would have this revelation. He says that the spirit of revelation, the wisdom and the revelation of God would be yours. So I'm just asking for dreams and visions that that love relation, those who have been broken, maybe severely had your love tested in broken places as childhood or even, that God will open up a door that you'll begin to trust again. You'll be able to surrender again to, to the one who's there. And when that happens, I guarantee your life will be changed. It says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's in Romans 14, 17. So Lord, I pray right now. Lord, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that that kingdom of God would come. And we thank you, Lord. And now, Lord, we pray for the encounter event next weekend, for the men's meeting tomorrow night, for the teaching Wednesday night. God, for all the outreaches, the House of Mercy outreaches, the things overseas, the things you're doing in the families here. Reconciling. We're believing that you're going to reconcile. Over this Thanksgiving and Christmas holiday, God, oftentimes is hard for families. God, let it be special. And we bless you now, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. God bless you all. Have a great week, okay?